Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. So I've been given a section of scripture for today. It's Ephesians chapter 5, the first, about seven verses. I'll only get to the first five today, but um, I want to talk with you about walking in love. And, um, you know, um, it's interesting, I was reflecting, as Lisa was mentioning, reflecting on um, um, ministry and pastoral ministry specifically, and boy, it's been like more years than I would care to admit that uh, I've been a part of God's work in the local church. And, um, um, you know, I went back in my thinking to why I started as a pastor. And the heart of it was I wanted to help people. And what I discovered is that the very best way to help people is to introduce them to Jesus, to understand the truth of why they're on the planet and a God who loves them so much. Um, And so it's been my joy over many years to help people. And And I believe that today this message, although very simple, is designed in such a way as to help you. Um, I believe that it's going to be a help to you, and and we're going to be true to the scripture. We're going to look at the Bible today, and we're going to look at it in its context. And um, you know, I have to be honest. Um, Pastor Adam, his verses next week, I like them better than the ones that I get. Uh, but you know what? It's all good. It's all God breathed. It's all inspired, and I'm excited about this word uh, today. But Adam's gonna get you know more fun next week than me. So whatever you, you should have come next week. But you're here today. No, I'm just kidding. It's gonna be fantastic. Let's look at God's word. God's word is so good. Okay. The Christian walk, walking in love. Verse one of Ephesians five. Follow God's example, therefore. As dearly loved children, you may have heard it um, this way, be imitators of God, therefore. That's my, my favorite and most familiar version of this verse. This one says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, This idea of fragrant offering and sacrifice would have been very common, would have been familiar to any ancient peoples because all of them worshiped gods in a certain way. And that would include fire. It would include candles. It would include wood. It would include sacrifice. And the concept was is that whatever god it was that they were burning this offering to would feast on the aroma. And so in context, what Paul is saying is that Jesus was not just an aroma, it was a fragrant aroma. The the life of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ was a pleasing aroma to God. You know, this verse begins with follow God's examples, God's example. And, And again, I think it is better stated, be imitators of God. In fact, that's probably more truly what Paul was saying. He was talking about imitation. And the truth is the ancient Greeks understood this concept. In fact, if you were to look into Greek history, what you would discover is that Greek thought well understood what it meant to master something. And they understood that to master anything, it took three key elements. The first was theory. The second was imitation. And the third was practice. 
And so what you're seeing here is that the main part of training to be excellent at anything, to master anything, was study and imitation of a master who had gone before. And so when Paul says, hey, be imitators of God, this made sense to them. They understood it. Paul doesn't say here, why don't you think about God? He doesn't say, or why don't you admire God? Or, or even, why don't you adore God? Although those are all very important, Paul takes us somewhere different. He digs us into a call to go beyond our inner life with God into true imitation, which shows up in our action and, and even in our words, as we'll learn in just a moment. I like that he says, as dearly loved children. You know, the truth is, is children are natural imitators, right? I mean, they naturally imitate. You know, I think it's the, the, the stat is like a three-year-old boy, 80% of his vocabulary are sounds. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, yeah, the, the sound of the rocket ship taking off or the siren going by or the screeching halting or the, the race car or whatever. It's all sounds and they all mean something because there's an imitation, and my boy, who's here today, he's 19 now, but uh, he, he, <laughs> he always imitated. And, and any time the Canadian National Anthem would start to play, didn't matter where he was, you know, he'd be two years old, he'd start going like this. Does anybody know why? Because he's watching hockey. <laughs> and that's what the hockey guys do. Oh, Canada. They're just getting ready, right? So anytime Oh, Canada would start, here's my boy. He's ready to go. He's ready to skate. He used to imitate the hockey game. He'd say, Mom, watch this. And then he'd go in the corner and he'd beat himself up because it was a hockey fight, you know. And now he's still, I mean, you know, he's on the front row, so I have to be careful. But, I mean, I think he's still imitating me. Look how good he looks. What a good-looking kid, you know. And I've got a four-by truck. He's got a four-by-four truck, right? I like to fish. He likes to fish. He has a mullet. I don't. <laughs> you know, it break, the, the analogy breaks down somewhere. Come on. But like, truth is, is children are natural imitators. And so that's why I love that Paul says, as dearly loved children. You know, there's something about a loving father and the desire to imitate. And that's what is so beautiful about this verse. If you choose to imitate God, then you will pick up no bad traits right? If you imitate an earthly father, maybe, you know, you can pass on things that you wish you wouldn't pass on as a father. Maybe your father was mean, maybe he was abusive, and you can pick up some of those negative traits. But I want you to know, if you imitate your heavenly father, you will be blessed. And more than that, you'll never pick up anything that is less than a complete blessing and makes you a better person. And so Paul says, let's be imitators of God. And then the next verse, it says, Let's walk in the way of love. I love this because, you know, this is the definition of imitating God, walking in love. Why? Well, because God is love, right? So walking in the way of love is actually a way to, if you will, imitate God. You know, Jesus talked about this when he was asked by the religious leaders, how can you boil down all of the commands of God? In fact, it says it this way in Matthew 22, starting in verse 36, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, 
This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What's Jesus saying? Hey, the command of God is to walk in love. It's to love God and to love people. That was the point. This is walking in love. And, and let's, let's be clear here. It starts with loving God. And when we talk about a love for God, some of us might actually say, I'm not quite sure even how to do that. Do I just be like, love you, God? Or is there something a little more practical than that? And, and I think it is. I think loving God means loving his word, loving his way, Loving his will. There's three W's for you like a good preacher. Okay, so hang on to those. I mean, when I love God, I, I, I want to become one who loves his word like Psalm 119 teaches me. I want to be one who loves God's ways, the ways of God. I mean, they're above my ways, but they're wonderful ways. And his will, his will has got to be the pursuit of my heart. That's how I love him. You know, it's kind of like this concept that I keep circling back to with us as a church, that your first calling is to be with him to enjoy him, to learn to love him, to feast on his love, to live in his love. That's your first calling. And so it starts with loving God. And then it moves, of course, to loving people and loving them like God has revealed his love to you. I mean, I want you to think about that. You really can't love people well unless you first experience the love of God. And maybe that's been a challenge for you. Maybe that's why you say, look around and say, man, I just don't know if I'm doing a good job of loving others. Maybe it's because there's not a fresh understanding. Maybe there's not a, a deep understanding of how you are loved and how you can then express that love to God. I want you to be, uh, be aware that there's a potential imbalance in these ideas of walking in the way of love. And the imbalance is that, you know, you choose one over the other. Jesus coupled these two ideas together, loving God and loving people. But if you love God and not people, guess what? You'll be mean. You'll be judgmental. You'll be legalistic. You'll be unapproachable. You'll have a terrible witness in the world because you love God but not people. And we have examples of that even in the scripture. You see the Pharisees, they were zealous for God but they didn't care too much for people. Their concern was not people, not the plight of people, not the need of people, but just loving God. And you know what? Honestly, church, we're not immune from this. I mean, it's so easy to come and be pious. It's so easy. And many people have left the Capital C Church because of the cruelty of God-loving and people-judging Christians. I just think, man, we gotta do better. And let's let it not be true of us. Amen? We're going to be deep lovers of people as we love God. God's going to help us with that. And, and you know, you can be imbalanced on the other side. The flip is always true. If you love people or if you love a person more than God, and remember our definition, meaning loving God's word, his way, and his will, if you love people or a person more than God's word, way, and will, you'll easily lose yourself. You'll lose your convictions. You'll start adjusting God's law to please the perceived needs or the wants of those that you're trying to love. And it can happen to us. So the beautiful tension of loving God and loving people together is so very important. 
We have an example of this, of loving people or persons more than God in our, in our, in our culture, if you think about it, because we're currently under so much pressure. You feel it, I feel it. And the pressure is to move the boundary lines of gender and sexuality. And the language that we hear is like this. If you love me, then you'll accept my choices, you'll affirm my decisions, and you'll advocate for my way of life. And that, that's really what we're hearing. I just can't stress enough that this is potentially the most vivid example of conditional love that I've ever seen. Only by meeting my conditions do you actually love me. And I, I just find that to be fascinating. Because conversely, Jesus says, why don't we start with loving God? Let's love him with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Let's be concerned about what he's concerned about. Let's be concerned about his way, his word, his will. Let's let that be our priority. And then let's love others as we love ourselves. That's what the scripture says. I, I, this command includes holding on to myself holding on to my convictions, holding on to me as an individual. You can't love others well if you don't know who you are in Christ. How is that even possible? And so the balance in the imbalance is that we deeply love people without conditions, that unconditional agape kind of God love. But in the same way, we hold tight to our God and as a result, we hold on to ourselves. It's actually a beautiful thing. And this is what Jesus modeled for us. The Bible says that Jesus came full of grace and truth, right? So in one hand, Jesus holds out God's love. And in the other hand, he holds out God's, and this isn't a word that we all like, but we need to hear it today, his holiness. He holds out God's holiness. He says, God is holy. God is righteous. God is the one who designed the world. God is the one that gives you breath. He is the one that makes the rules. He is the one that sets the boundaries. It's God. And so God should be held as holy. And we should understand our responsibility in regard to a holy God. See, the truth is we don't get to tell God how he is to love us. <laughs> He's the one who defines love, not us. Now think about this. I felt like I had this really vivid example come to me. Lisa and I drove to California, and the further we got south, the more dry it became. <laughs> I mean, it was there, there in like 15 years of drought. We got down into California. We got to this place where, you know, it's Mount Shasta, and Lake Shasta is there. I don't know if you've ever driven there. But it is like, honestly, the, the level of the water is so low. They've had to move the docks, build new roads, build new communities because the water level is so low. They've been in drought for so long. And, and sort of the contrast of that picture was I got back to Victoria in July. And what do we expect in, um, in July in Victoria? Rain, right? Yeah, that's what we expect. No, but that's what we get, right? We got rain this year. And so, you know, the rivers are high, the lakes are full. We went to Little Qualicum Falls and it was raging. It was beautiful. And I'm standing on the edge of the, you know, where this fence is there. I wasn't standing on the edge. The fence says, don't go past here, right? So I was standing on the edge, like on the fence. And I'm just thinking, and God really spoke to me. And he spoke to me about this concept of love that I'm sharing with you right now. 
And this picture was, you know, this raging, cascading, powerful, beautiful water is a picture of the love of God. And when you see the power of it, you see that it pours out as God sees fit. Amen? And it goes where God desires it to go. It's generous. I mean, there's more water than it can handle. But this water can't be controlled by a man. That's why these signs and these fences are here. If I go down into that water, I'm done. It's going to sweep me away. Why? Because it's powerful. And this is the truth. The love of God will sweep over all who get in its path. And so, I mean, I'm thinking about the dry, dusty climate in, in, in California. I'm thinking about this raging river. And I'm realizing, man, if this is the love of God, all that I can actually do in my limited capacity is dip my cup in and share it with somebody else. That's all I can do. He defines the love. He produces the love. He's the one that says where the boundary lines of the love are. He's the one who brings that continuous flow. All I can do is go to the source and share it with others. And that's walking in love. This powerful, powerful love of God, we get to walk in it in this way. You know, it's interesting to me that as we read on in the next few verses, Paul's example you know, that kind of brings the, the um, tension of the opposite into this idea of walking in love is rooted in sexual practice. And that's what the next couple of verses are about. I want to look at them with you, verses 3 through 5, and that'll kind of be the end of our core text today. And Paul goes on after saying, you know, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ was an example of love to you. And then in verse 3, he says, but among you... There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So basically verses 1 to 4, that's all we're going to get to today. But I want you to note, it's pretty interesting how comprehensive this list of sexual sins are here. You know, Paul begins with sexual immorality, which in, in the Greek is a word called pornea, which is really the broadest word describing sexual sin that exists. But then he begins to get more specific. And the next one he uses is impurity. In the Greek, this would have been the word dirty. And what this means is about moral behavior, especially about sexual practice. And then he goes on to greed, which is a really interesting word to put here because greed exists even outside of sexuality. But when you think about it in context, it's like this, the desire to have something that doesn't belong to me. And you can see how this has led many people into sexual sin. He goes on to talk about obscenity, which has the same idea as impurity in terms of dirty, but it's more about the thought process, what's going on on the, the inside of the mind. And then it gets to foolish talk. And this word foolish talk, if in the Greek, it actually means an easy turn of speech. And I mean, honestly, this is so clear in our culture, but in context, it's the idea of someone who can turn every conversation into something sexual. Unfortunately, those people certainly exist. And then Paul goes on to say coarse joking, which is just rude sexual humor. And Paul says, come on, guys. This is not the way of love. This is not walking in love. This is not what God has in mind for us. But among you, he says, there must not be even a hint 
of sexual immorality. Why? Why did Paul say that? Well, he gives us the answer in the same text. Because this is improper for what? For God's holy people. And that brings us to a very important biblical text from 1 Peter, where Peter gives us this command. And he starts with the concept of being a child. Here we're as dearly loved children. Here he says, as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be imitators of God. Now, can I just say, this is not something that you just wake up tomorrow morning and decide to do. This idea of holiness is rooted in God, not in you. And the truth is, is the only way that we walk in holiness is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the work of God's Spirit in our lives. That's where the want to comes from. I don't get up tomorrow and just decide today's going to be a holy day. I shall commit no sin before thee, right? It doesn't work like that. I need the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need the longing to be with Jesus. I need to practice the presence of God. And as a result, then I'm able. And the context of this, the whole idea behind this is, it isn't really avoid these things so that then you can be a saint, but rather you are a saint. Now live in a matter fitting of one who is a saint. Do you feel that shift? You feel that difference? That's really what it is. It's, you know, the truth is, is that there's this constant moral appeal in the Bible. If you want to remove the morality of the Bible, you'd have to edit tremendously. It shows up over and over and over again. God cares about our behavior, for sure. And the constant is this, that, that consistent moral appeal in the New Testament is easy. It's light. It's a burden that fits us. It's simply this. Be who you are in Jesus. Just, just let Jesus shine through. That's the whole picture. Be an imitator of God. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into a beautiful example of Jesus and live that out. Because you are God's holy people. And this emphasis on sexual sin was so appropriate in the culture of Paul's day. And isn't it appropriate in ours as well? Goodness, here we are. Because their whole culture at that point was given over to sexuality. Like completely immoral. In fact, worship had been totally tainted. The Greeks had these temples to the gods. And in these temples were these priestesses. And these priestesses were prostitutes. And they would sell their bodies for a fee and they would take the money and build a new temple. This was the way they funded the work. And can't you see how that actually creates this picture of sex as worship? And the truth is, is Paul says, but rather, at the very end, but rather thanksgiving. Listen, this is not the pathway to real true worship. Worship God, don't worship sex. Worship God, don't worship the form that God created don't worship an act that happens in a beautiful way within the context of God's way, but worship the God who made it all. And so Paul links sexual purity with walking in the way of love. And this is based on the idea that no person should ever become an object. That is not the point. No person exists 
to be objectified for your satisfaction. The truth is, you cannot truly love what you objectify. And here's a very important phrase. In a world that truly does love things and uses people, it's Christians that choose to love people and use things. You know, I, I'm going to share a quote with you that's from Timothy Keller, who I really appreciate as an author and pastor. And, and Timothy Keller, um, I was actually reading, he was talking more about generosity and giving, but it fits so well with today's message, so I'll share it with you. And he says this, the Greeks and the Romans were very promiscuous with their bodies and very stingy with their money. But the Christians were very stingy with their bodies and very promiscuous with their money. You see, because they understood that you love people and you use things. And I want you to know, I really feel it in my heart, friends. It's time for there to be a greater distinguishability between a Christian and someone who is not. We are God's holy people. There should be something that's different about us. There should be an image bearing going on in us, friends. Let God speak to you about that because this is walking in the way of love and it's different than the way our world views it. Um, it was a long trip to California. <laughs> it was fun. I like road trips. We found ourselves listening to audiobooks. And one of the audiobooks we listened to with the kids, they're older now, was The Hiding Place by Corey Timboom, which is the story of Corey and her sister Betsy and many other members of her family who are, are put in, into a concentration camp during World War II under Nazi-occupied Holland because they were hiding Jews. In the, the story, I mean, although it's just powerful and moving, I really recommend it if you've not read it or, hey, you can listen to the audiobook. I would recommend it. But there's this exchange that happens in the book where, and I'm sorry for the, the strength of this illustration, but it does have a point, that they were standing in roll call, they called it, where they would have to stand for hours. And the, there was a special needs woman in front of Corey, and she got out of line, did something wrong, and the guards came and they beat her until she died. Right in front of Corey and Betsy. And Corey said to Betsy, when we get out of here, we need to do something to help those people. And Betsy looked back at her and said, yes, we need a place where we can show them that love is a better way. And Corey records in her book, the difference was I was talking about the special needs person and Betsy was talking about the guards. See, this may be the most difficult place where I draw you into an idea of walking in love. But walking in love includes loving those that you don't think deserve being loved. You know, those guards were the same ones that stripped them naked and gawked at them, that beat them, that shoved them into trains and that caused them to live in flea-infested filth. And yet, Betsy loved them. I mean, that's a powerful example. 
a difficult one to follow. But let me now, as the message is ending, take you back to the beginning. Because there was a place where we started. And I put emphasis on the beginning of these verses. Let me now put emphasis on the end as we wrap up. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. That's our example. I can't give you a stronger example of love than the love that Jesus has for you and for the price that he paid for you and what he gave up for you. And so we will follow his example. Will you pray with me? A simple message and now a simple response. You know, this all rises and falls on the love of God. Have you experienced that love? What I mean is, have you accepted the forgiving love of Jesus Christ, the grace of God that comes from your Savior? Have you accepted that? Because if not, let's do that today. Receive the love of God in Christ. Receive that love for yourself. Experience it so that then in turn you can pass it on. Are you here today and you need Jesus? You need his love to resonate in your life. You need his saving grace to flow over you. Receive that today. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So call on the name of Jesus today. I encourage you, Jesus, come in to my life. I receive your love today. I take it for myself. I've heard of it, but today it's mine. I receive it. And for those of us who have received the love of Christ, come on, church. Let's walk in the way of love. Let's follow his example today. So, Lord, we pray together, thanking you for the simplicity of your word and how it challenges us. Thank you, Lord, for causing us to reflect differently on how we live, how we walk, and let it be a way that is saturated with the love of God through Christ Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you can help us to truly be imitators of our God, to truly follow the example of Jesus and what he has done for us. Help us to love, to walk in the way of love, and even to have strength to love those who are hard to love. Thank you, Jesus, for you are with us and you are in us. Let us be the people of your love because the world will know us because of our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.